Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 38. In today's episode, I will be talking about the murder of Elizabeth Lizzie Marriott. My sources for today's episode are Killer Couples, Season 5, Episode 4, cbsnews.com, wmur.com, The Charlie Project, seacoastonline.com, boston.cbslocal.com, The Boston Globe, and metrowestdailynews.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. Elizabeth Lizzie Marriott was just 19 years old and a sophomore at the University of New Hampshire. She loved animals and was studying to be a marine biologist. She lived with her aunt and uncle, Tony and Becky Hanna, whom she was very close to, so that she could be closer to school. She was also close with her parents, Bob and Melissa Marriott. According to CBS News, they described Lizzie as vivacious and a lover of animals and people. On October 9, 2012, Lizzie had gone to school and had made plans to hang out with a new friend that night. She met a girl from work named Kat McDonough. They worked at a local Target. Lizzie had left a note for her aunt and uncle and said she'd be home by midnight, maybe a little after. However, Lizzie never came home. Her parents lived a few hours away in Massachusetts, and they called the police. They also drove the two hours to New Hampshire and were on a full-on panic mode, as to be expected. The police soon knew who they should speak to first, Kat McDonough, Lizzie's new friend. Kat was an inspiring actress who loved role-playing. Kat was a loner, she didn't have too many friends, and when she wasn't acting, she was in her room playing online role-play video games. In 2011, just a year before Lizzie disappeared, 17-year-old Kat met 28-year-old Seth Mazalia. They met in a local community theater play. Seth had graduated from the University of New Hampshire. He was a black belt in karate and often used this to choreograph fight scenes in the plays he starred in. Seth also worked odd jobs and taught karate on the weekends. He was also a trained EMT. Despite their age difference, Kat and Seth soon bonded over role-playing games. They often referred to each other as Darkheart and Scarlet. Once Kat graduated high school, she moved in with Seth and cut off communications with her parents. Seth soon introduced Kat into the world of BDSM. Many said that Kat didn't date much before Seth, and she just really wanted to impress her new boyfriend. Seth had been into BDSM for years, and his name came up on several fetish websites. Seth wanted to up their sex life by adding a third person to their relationship. Kat worshipped Seth and agreed to do whatever he wanted. She would later say that she didn't want to lose him. The police went to speak to Seth and Kat. Kat told the police that she had invited Lizzie over that night because they were both interested in the paranormal. They had made plans to go to the local cemetery to take pictures. Kat said she was disappointed that their plans fell through, but that she went to the cemetery on her own. Seth confirmed that he never saw Lizzie either and that he went for a two-mile run around 9 p.m. He said he returned an hour later and Lizzie still wasn't there. The police didn't have any evidence at the time that they were involved, so they left. A statewide alert was put out for Lizzie. Her car, a tan 2002 Mazda Tribute, was also eventually found in the parking lot of the university. There was no evidence in the car. The police decided to retrace Lizzie's steps. They obtained her phone records and discovered there was no contact between Lizzie and Kat on the night that they were supposed to hang out. The only person Lizzie had spoken to was her girlfriend, Brittany. The police found it odd because Lizzie and Kat had plans, but Kat didn't ask her, like, where are you or anything like that. Kat and Seth were brought down to the station for a formal interview, and they were separated this time. 
Kat gave the police the same story. They asked her to show them the pictures from the cemetery, and she said she had deleted them. Seth also cooked Seth also stuck by his story, but the police found it weird that it took him an hour to go for a two-mile run. Honestly, I didn't find that very odd because Seth was a bigger guy, but I also don't think he was going for a run at 9 p.m. Anyway, Seth eventually changed his story and said that Lizzie was actually at their apartment that night. He, Lizzie, and Kat had a threesome and something went wrong. Seth had... Seth said he had talked Kat into finding someone new for their relationship and that Kat befriended Lizzie. According to Kat, Lizzie was intrigued by the stories of their sex life and she agreed to come over that night. Seth said they watched a movie and then suggested that they were all that they all played strip poker. Seth said that Kat and Lizzie kissed at one point and he wanted to join in. He and Kat would often use ropes for breath play and when he used the rope on Lizzie, something happened. She started convulsing and stopped breathing. They then put Lizzie into a suitcase and put her into the back of her own car. They drove to Pierce Island and dumped her into the Piscatua River. They then drove Lizzie's car to the university, stopped at, stopping at various dumpsters on the way to get rid of items. Kat and Seth then walked back to their apartment, which was about 30 minutes away from the university. Lizzie's sweatshirt, a pair of men's underwear, and black gloves were found in a dumpster behind Kat and Seth's apartment. After Seth confessed, the police confronted Kat. She said it was an accident and that it was her fault, not Seth's. She said she was on top of Lizzie, not Seth. The police didn't know who was actually telling the truth and believed that if it happened the way that they both said it did, Lizzie would have fought back or there would have been more evidence that she fought back. On October 13th, Seth was arrested on suspicion of murder. Kat was released. One day after his arrest, Seth agreed to show the police where they dumped Lizzie's body. Her body has never been found. Before Seth was formally charged with murder, they discovered that Seth had made several calls to a woman named Roberta Gherkin. Roberta was Seth's tarot card reader and also a former partner of his. Roberta later said that she actually spoke to Kat on the phone and not Seth, and that she was frantic. When Roberta and her boyfriend arrived at the apartment, they saw Lizzie dead on the floor with plastic bag over her head. They both said that on the stand that Seth kept telling them that he, quote, went too far, end quote. Seth and Kat had never said anything about plastic bags. Roberta also said that Seth and Kat had asked for her for help, but she only agreed not to say anything. Kat was again confronted about the new developments. This time she turned on Seth. She said it wasn't an accident. She said Seth's desires turned dark after she moved in with him. Seth wanted more control and became obsessed with wanting more submissive partners. Kat said Seth made her find more women to join their relationship. Kat said that Lizzie died because she refused to join them in a threesome. Lizzie was in a very serious relationship with her girlfriend and tried to leave that night when things took a turn. Kat said Seth went into the bedroom and returned with a bondage rope. He choked Lizzie and eventually killed her. Kat then shared uh, one final horrible detail. Seth had sex with Lizzie's dead body. In December, Kat was charged with hindering apprehension and conspiracy to commit. Seth's charges were upgraded to first-degree murder. Kat agreed to testify against Seth and took a plea deal of one to three years in prison. In May 2014, Seth went on trial. Kat, as well as one of Seth's ex-girlfriends, testified that Seth was abusive. Seth would also text Kat in detail about how he was going to punish her. Kat explained what happened that night when Lizzie died, and she said she never told Seth to stop. He said something like, if, if that was okay with her, and she said that it wasn't because she was in a very committed relationship 
and she just didn't want to be a part of that. And he moved up close behind her. He was still on the bed. And he wrapped the rope over her head and around her neck and started pulling on it. Um, she let out a quick noise. And then she sort of stopped moving. Seth's defense blamed everything on Kat. They claimed Kat was a very good actress and argued that Seth didn't have sex with Lizzie. There was a condom found in the dumpster with all the other items. It didn't have Lizzie's DNA on it, only Kat and Seth's. However, his underwear proved that he actually sexually assaulted Lizzie. On August 14, 2014, Seth was convicted of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Lizzie's parents believe that Kat was abused by Seth and that they feel sorry for her. Lizzie's family has set up a scholarship fund in her name called the Lizzie Marriott Intrepid Ocean Explorer Fund, which helps, quote, young adults looking to embrace an education and life working in marine science, end quote. This case is tragic. While I believe that Kat was abused and trapped in this life with Seth, she deserved a longer sentence. She willingly helped dispose of Lizzie and dispose of evidence, and she never called 911. However, she did call a friend of Seth's, and those people also chose not to call 911. That is on them and should weigh on their conscience for life. My book recommendation for this week is Just One Look by Lindsay Cameron. Summary. Cassie Woodson is adrift. After suffering an epic tumble down the corporate ladder, Cassie finds the only way she can pay her bills is to take a thankless temp job reviewing correspondence for a large-scale fraud suit. The daily drudgery amplifies that all her life is lacking, love, friends, stability, and leaves her with too much time on her hands which she spends fixating on the mistakes that brought her to this point. While sorting through a relentless deluge of emails, something catches her eye, the tender and totally private exchanges between a partner at the firm, Forrest Watts, and his enchanting wife, Annabelle. Cassie knows she shouldn't read them, but it's just one look, and once that door opens, she finds she can't look away. Every day, 20 floors below Forrest's corner office, Cassie dissects their emails from her dingy workstation. A few clicks of her mouse and she can see every adoring word they write to each other. By peeking into their apparently perfect life, Kathy fi- sorry, Cassie finds renewed purpose and happiness, revealing in their penchant for vintage wines, morning juice presses, and lavish dinner parties thrown in their stately Westchester home. There are no secrets from her, or, she- or so she thinks. Her admiration quickly escalates into an all-out, in an all-out mimic cry because she wants this life more than anything. Maybe if she plays make-believe long enough, it will become real for her. But when Cassie orchestrates a chance meeting with Forrest in the real world world, and sees something that throws the state of the marriage into question, the fantasy she'd been carefully cultivating shatters. Suddenly, she doesn't simply admire Annabelle. She wants to take her place, and she's armed with the tools to make that happen. Well, I covered a crazy case, so it's only fitting that I reviewed a crazy book. Cassie, a disgraced lawyer, is on Hinge. She is on her second temp job, but one day after reading emails, she becomes obsessed with a relationship that is not hers, nor is it her business. Cassie soon believes that Forrest is the man for her, and she will do whatever it takes to make him hers. I like that it was told from Cassie's perspective, so as a reader, it's definitely another twisty thriller that will leave you wanting to read chapter after chapter. I give it an 8 out of 10. 
Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram, buy me a coffee. My links are all posted in the show notes and rate and review. It really, really, really helps. I really appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with an all new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.